heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. For what seems like for the first time in forever, folks, like obviously he was on here three weeks ago, very different circumstances then. Now, look, we're back in video for the first time in a long time, Big Rat and I. Um, that's right. This is episode number 149. Can you believe it, folks? Almost at 150. Almost at 150. And I know, look, the stats are coming. The explanation, his side of things is coming. Don't worry, it's coming. But how are we feeling today? Feeling great. I uh, did not expect to be involved in a coaching search again, but here we are. And that's kind of what Dolphin fans talk about all day, every day now. So all's good. Feeling good. Football's exactly. good. Everything's good. You know what? You're right. Football's, football's great. It just sucks yep. that like there's three games left. There's obviously yeah. a fourth. But we don't count. We don't count that next weekend. It's no. just like, all right, just push it off to the side. But before we get started, folks, look, today there's a pretty big retirement in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Roethlisberger retired. I know a lot of people kind of want to poke fun at him and stuff and be like, yeah, whatever, he's retiring. But when you look at it, like, I want to ask you, because I, I obviously have him as, like, I'd say first ballot Hall of Famer. Look, he won two Super Bowls. He's top five for, I believe, fourth quarter comebacks. or It's actually, no, it's wins. I think he's near the top for wins. Do you rank him top 10 all time, though, or where do you have him for, like, in your quarterback rankings? Yeah, top 10 all time seems a little aggressive um, just because of he was, you know, never never really the best quarterback of his era, and it wasn't ever really that close. Like, he never won MVP. There was never a year where you could argue, well, he could have at least won it this year because he was never really, like, a, a serious contender. Um, so when you're not – when you're not like one of the three or four best quarterbacks of your era, I think it's hard to be top 10 all time uh, because obviously, you know, even though he didn't play in the same era as Joe Montana and Steve Young and Staubach and all the greats, uh, it's safe to say that it might not might not have hit those same levels that they hit. But I do think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's Mark Markeen, when I was doing, when we were doing YouTube Take back in the day, I remember in 2012, he called Ben the best third down quarterback in NFL history. And we didn't really get to see it as much these last few years because of his reduced mobility. But we forget, like Ben in his prime, that was his thing. Third down, he would scramble, and he was so hard to tackle. That was his gimmick for so many years. Like he was impossible to sack that he would just extend plays, take hits, take hits, and fire one down the field to convert a third down. And that was that that big Ben was a lot of fun to watch. And it's unfortunate that in his later years, we're going to remember him more as the guy who was always throwing short, who was getting sacked a lot. Uh, and I think that's all the hits he took is probably why he couldn't do what Breeze did, what Peyton did. Like he, he seemed to decline a little bit earlier than those guys did. He seemed to decline like, you know, by 37 rather than 40, you know, or obviously Brady's his own thing. But yeah, like still, still Hall of Famer. No, no. Yeah, still a Hall of Famer. Part of that, what I would say now, would be pretty, pretty legendary 04 draft class where obviously yeah. Philip Rivers is a bit of the exception, but Peyton, Eli, excuse me, has got his two Super Bowls. Uh, Ben's got his two. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say top 10 of all time either. I'd say maybe in that 11 to 20 range, somewhere in there, if I had to put it. Like if it was like a top 20 of all time, maybe top 15, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, I just want to thank him for giving all like all the classic games that he had with the Pats. Him and Brady always going 
head to head, toe to toe a lot of the times. So a couple AFC Championship games, um, the, the obvious flu game. I, yeah, the flu game was him. And then just battles because a lot of the times when they played, it was always like the marquee, like four twenty five or Sunday night football yeah. game. Like you never saw like a Patriots Steelers game just like thrown in at like yeah. a one o'clock time slot. It was always like that game, you, like game NFL fans got up for. So for that, I just want to say thanks, Ben. And I think a lot of his criticism, it is warranted, but at the same time too, I feel like a lot of the people that criticize him now need to go back and watch like that, you know, two thousand and five. Which remember, first year he took he took the Steelers to the AFC Championship. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was his rookie season. Oh four, oh four, yeah. Oh four took the Steelers to the AFC Championship. Next year, won a Super Bowl with Bill Cowher. So that's the thing. You got to go watch that Ben to see really how good he was with, especially with the weapons he had. Guys like Heinz Ward, Antonio Holmes, Jerome Bettis, and plus two some really good defenses as well. And also, uh, quick shout out for Heath Miller. <laughs> yeah, and uh, definitely, and also the second gener, like kind of like with Brady, like where you develop. You have your Welkers and your Dion Branch, and then you develop a new generation of guys that you throw to, like Edelman and Gronk. Yeah. Same with Ben, where you have like you have Heinz Ward, Bettis, Heath Miller. You gr- you get into Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. You know you grow into different eras together. Juju uh, right Schuster. up until yeah, Juju and then Claypool and Deontay now. But that's a, that's usually the sign of a great quarterback when you have two different sets of people you can play with. I, I should say his. His off-the-field stuff should be mentioned. Uh, it is yep. part of his story. Um, don't want to go too deep into it, but it should be mentioned of uh, the heinous accusations he was accused of that kind of marred his career. And there was, as it relates to football, it's interesting. There's now stories coming out that they were going to trade him after one of those, I think it was the second incident, they were going to trade him. And the they like, one? Yeah, and they, I, they, it was something like they had a tr- hard time finding a trade partner or the owner didn't want to do it. I forget what the story is, but – just imagine they almost traded the guy and I, you know, they went to a, they went to another Super Bowl like right around that time. And then he still played pretty well for most of the 2010s. So just crazy, like how NFL history would have changed if uh, that trade occurred. But as it relates to football, there's no denying it. He was a great hall of fame caliber quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Like he's look, he's got two championships. Well, was the latter part of his career not as good. Yeah. But you know what? Like we said, he's got his things for anyone out there who hasn't watched it. Go watch him in his prime. Um, but that's not the only big news story. Look, the NFL news cycle is one that always keeps on churning. And we had the unfortunate step, not unfortunate, but the interesting step down of Sean Payton from coaching. Um, a lot of people want to compare this to like an Urban Meyer situation, not that he's modern accusations and controversy, but like he just wants to like take some time away, maybe do a year of TV, then come back. Uh, we already know Jerry Jones is probably on the phone to them, like saying, okay, what size Brinks truck do you need me to bring to your house for you to coach the Dallas Cowboys? Um, but in reality, I think he was just mentally burnt out. I think that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, he'd been, been in one place for a very, very long time. I mean, like, Belichick, Belichick is, like, obviously a football junkie and a football lifer, so he's had the same thing. But Belichick, you know, Belichick's going to Super Bowls, like, a little more consistently. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot more consistently, yeah. So, like, it's a little easier, I think, to stomach some of those down years when that success is right around the corner. Maybe if – Belichick has, you know, a few more. I mean, you guys, I, 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 you guys would know more than I would. But like, maybe if Belichick had a few more like non-Super Bowl caliber or seasons, maybe he would burn out quickly too and want something different. Who knows? But yeah, he was there for a long time. You know, like did a lot of great things. The other thing I heard too apparently was from coming from the Saints community, which I'm gonna have Matt. Matt's coming on next week. We're gonna delve into this yeah. a little bit more. But apparently, ever since the 2019 AFC, NFC Championship game, like he's really been like. The fact, too, that the Saints get a lot of no calls and stuff like that. And there was that 2019 season where they had the pass interference review put in place, but then, like, the refs were pissed and the rest of the league were kind of pissed. So it was just kind of like one of those, like, down things. But at the same time, too, he'll be back. Um, 
I want to see with television though, because that's the thing. A lot of these guys go to television, like look at Bill Cower, where yeah, Tony Dungy, they go to TV, they realize, hey, I can make more than I was making coaching, hell of a lot less stress. I didn't realize with a lot of coaches, but they're working like five in the morning to like ten o'clock at night. Like you're working 17, 18 hours a day. But with TV, look, you do it once a week, you get a nice cushy paycheck, and there's no stress to it. So maybe, maybe he gets into TV and says, you know what? Hey, I kind of like this. Like kind of like what we saw from Romo as well, where we thought Romo would make a comeback, and now he's making seventeen million or I think seventeen or eighteen million a year from CBS to call games. And Peyton, Peyton's legacy in New Orleans, you know, he's I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber head coach, and uh, independent from being an, an excellent offensive mind and a good risk taker. I mean that that onside kick in the Super Bowl was like such a big deal when it happened. Like for younger viewers who maybe like didn't didn't don't remember watching that Super Bowl around that time, that was a shock. Like that. Even if something like that would happen nowadays, it would still be surprising. Imagine back then where NFL teams were going forward on fourth down less often. We're going for two-point conversions less often. In that era of football, it was, like, unheard of. And, you know, it was a big factor in them winning that game because they were able to steal a possession away from from Manning and the Colts. So, uh, great coach. And last thing I'll say is he should be remembered as a very important community figure. Like, what he did for that area after 2005 like it's been well, and Matt, Matt, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot next week. Like Peyton and Breeze, they're not just football people. They're like, they're like a local version of the Avengers to that community. Yeah, like they're they're superheroes, and they're very involved in local community efforts and charity events, hurricane events. Like he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what he did for that area. Exactly, he'll have his name up there in that wall uh, in that Ring of Honor. Look, that's a stadium you and I both visited. We know how much that team means to that community. I feel like. There's certain teams that like, and we'll get into one of them, obviously, in the championship predictions. But when it comes to community, there's only certain teams that I feel like that the the can, football can truly bring that community together. And New Orleans is one of those is one of those teams. Absolutely, and it's a very very special relationship they have with their team. And uh, losing Breeze and losing Peyton, you know, it's sad, but you know, they'd be happy with all the joy that they brought them all these years. Exactly, exactly. Look, winning as head coach, the fact that they didn't. They were like one of the like if you go back and look at the early early days history of the Saints, it's one of the darkest in NFL history. Yeah, yeah. Th- this this franchise was like the equivalent of like what the Browns and the Lions are for a very 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 long time, like for multiple decades. And then the right coach and the right quarterback just kind of turned it all around. Exactly. And um, also too, look, the coaching carousel is going, the GM carousel is going. Uh, obviously, look. As we know, my famed Denver head coach is now the former Denver head coach. But I want to go into something. I didn't realize this until this morning. But the Chicago Bears replaced Matt and Ryan with Matt with and Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I find that hilarious. I, I, I like the hire, though. I like the hire of Eberflus in uh, Chicago. Ryan Poles, like, his, his resume kind of speaks for himself. He's younger than some of the players in the team. I just find that part of it hilarious that you literally fired a guy named Matt and Ryan and, like, Three and a half weeks later, Matt and Ryan are coming in to be the GM and the coach. And and you went from a Ryan P to a Ryan P, nonetheless, mm-hmm. like to really double down on the on the symmetry there. Uh, Eber, Eberflus, you know, it, it's interesting because there's now an ongoing debate that you want offensive minded head coaches uh, because coordinators, offensive coordinators leave and then you have to replace them. Whereas if you're the offensive coach and the play caller, you can keep your play calling duties over time. Like it doesn't matter how many coordinators Andy Reed loses. Like he's going to run the same thing because yeah. they can't lose Andy Reed. So that is an ongoing debate. And we see now that the last four teams in the championship game are all offensive head coaches. Uh, but 
there are still plenty of good defensive coaches in the league. People still like Sean McDermott. People still like Ron Rivera. People, I mean, Harbaugh coming from John Harbaugh come from special teams, but you get the point. Mike Tomlin, yeah. defensive side of the ball. Like, if you can coach, you can coach. The Brandon Colts, Staley. yeah, Brandon Staley, another one. The Colts, the Colts, the Colts generally have a have had a good defense. I was reading today over the last in Eberflus's tenure, they're top ten in like yards per drive, points per drive, EPA per play. They've been one of the best defenses in the league over the last few years. It might not seem like it, but they have a lot of talent. They had one of the most Pro Bowl roster defensive players of any team in the league. So he's done a good job. He deserves a chance. We'll see. It's obviously the Bears. It's not a great situation to start your coaching career, but he's got fields there. They got a new GM. Like, let's see how it goes. I think he's going to have a lot of leash. It's going to be like a Dan Campbell situation, uh, similar to like what he's going through in Detroit right now, where, yeah. look, there is a few years to go. Um, I was saying this today, actually, the other friend of the show, Danny, but um, I like the hire for the sense the Chicago Bears defense isn't exactly awful. Like I was looking at it today yeah. about they're about middle of the pack for when it comes to points per points per game allowed. Robert Quinn had a very, very underrated year for them. He had like 16 sacks or something like that. Like he was yeah. like, I think he, he either passed the all time Bears lead or he was very, very close to tying the Bears all time sack leader, which I think goes back to like it maybe still Dick Bacchus or Mike Singletary. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like if you can get the right offensive mind in there, they can build something for the future. I think, you know what, next two to three years, I think Bears fans kind of expect, hey, if you finish in that 6-11 and 11 to 8-9 and nine range, it's a victory. So, like, I wouldn't expect much. But I feel like for Bears fans, there's that, like, renewed sense of hope and optimism that you have currently in Detroit. Even though Detroit only won three games this year, look, the players are bonded to Dan Campbell and so are the fans. So I think that's all Bears fans are asking for is just trust from the front office that there'll be results on the field eventually long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Quinn was, he was either a pro bowler or second team all pro, maybe both, but definitely one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. So he definitely had a, a very, very, very strong season in that regard. And yeah, to your point uh, on the defenses thing, DVOA numbers, I was just looking it up uh, for Randy who wanted the, the DVOA stats for today. Here's your DVOA numbers today. The Colts this year, had the eighth-ranked defense in the league, according to DVOA efficiency. So clearly, Iberflus did a good job. Secondly, though, the Chicago Bears finished 13th. So even though they were, you know, only a 7-10 and 10 or 6-11 and 11 football team, I think they were 6-11, and 11, I forget their final record, uh, they had a good defense. They had a good defense. They had a good team, a good, a good team on that side of the ball. And I was reading today that it is possible that Iberflus might keep Sean Desai, their new defensive coordinator. Um, he, like either has a prior relationship with him or schematically they get along. One of the two, I forget. But yeah. if you can keep continuity and then add Iberflus's defensive credentials, then you got something to work with. you got a really good defense at least to start your rebuild process moving forward. Exactly. And also, too, I looked it up for Robert Quinn. Uh, he did make the Pro Bowl. He also uh, did eclipse the Bears' all-time sack leader. That actually was Richard Dents from 1984. Yeah. And he was named a second-team All-Pro. So you were two for two on your facts, and I was all for one. But, um, no, I think if you can get the right offensive mind to get in there and work with Justin Fields, I think that's what's most important. Like, hell, go for the big fish. Go for, like, a go. Joe Brady's out there. Like, and, yeah, and, and like, Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell interviewed yeah. for the job. Maybe give him the OC job. Like, I know it's unconventional, but if he wants it, give it to him. And then there's Dan Quinn, too, who's returning to Dallas. But I feel like that's just, yeah, I didn't get the job. So, you know, I'm just going to stay. Like, I think it's just his BS way of saying, yeah, they didn't want me. So I'm coming home. Yeah, it's, it seems like he would, from from what some people are reporting, he would have only taken the Broncos job. That was the one he wanted. Um, and these other jobs were just more of a courtesy. 
Yes, and the only other hires there are right now is the Joe Shane in Buffalo, which um, I Giants. I, Giants. I don't know how much I buy into that. Like he did good in Buffalo, but Buffalo's draft track record's not like a lot of the guys have been doing all right. But then there's a lot of guys that like besides Josh Allen, like that aren't like. And I'd say Dawson Knox was actually 98th overall pick in 2019, and the only ones I would say probably Gabriel Davis, the fourth round, and Brandon Bass uh, was sixth round pick, their kicker, but. I want to see how he does with the Giants. Uh, I feel like to him being handcuffed to Daniel Jones. Look, it's good for you and me. We get we get our primetime series. <laughs> Returning in 2022, hopefully. Absolutely. Hopefully we get the Colts and Giants in primetime <clears throat> sometime in 2022. But um, I'm just interested to see where it goes. I, I feel like John Mar- I feel like he's just going to basically do whatever John Merrill wants him to do for now. Okay. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, Minnesota, I can't get the guy's name off the top of my head, but I like I like it. Like I think it's a pretty good hire. It's a younger mind to get in there more analytically driven. He's from Wall Street. He has his master's in economics actually from Stanford, which is kind of cool. And then Quasi Adolfo Mensa is his name. Quasi Adolfo Mensa is the yeah, museum look, in Minnesota. I looked it up because I didn't want to butcher the spelling either. So yeah, completely understand. And then Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Denver doing a 180 from last year. I, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is going to go there, but you know that's all networks are going to talk about is yeah. Devonte and. Uh, Aaron to uh, and to Denver, yeah, and uh, Hackett. <clears throat> I, I've always kind of liked uh, Nathaniel Hackett a little bit uh, because, like, I understand that he's been with Green Bay, so he doesn't get a huge amount of credit because Rodgers is there, Matt Lafleur is also there. So, like, how much is really Nathaniel Hackett's responsibility? I will say, for the Blake Bortles Jaguars in 2017, I think people remember that team as having like a great defense, and and it was a great defense, no doubt, but people don't remember that the offense was like middle of the pack that year. It was actually like the offense was like pretty decent at scoring. And so Nathaniel Hackett, you know, with Doug Marone as the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett was responsible for a lot of that progress. And I think that, you know, that he deserves a lot of credit for getting a really good offense or a good offense, I should say, out of a Blake Bortles led team that almost made it to the Super Bowl. Now it didn't, it didn't hold over till the next season. And that's why he got, he got released. He got he got fired, I believe, mid the 2018 season before he went to Green Bay. Yeah. So that kind of hurt his name, hurt his reputation a bit. But I think he doesn't get enough credit for the job he did the year before. I just looked it up, actually. DVOA number two, numbers again for the show. In 2017, the Jaguars had the 15th ranked offense in the league. Middle of the pack offense with Blake Bortles as your quarterback. I think that's worthy of a claim, to say the least. So I don't know how he's going to do in Denver, but they definitely we, we've you've been on the fan show thing forever. They definitely needed to go offense. It was obvious. So now we see how it works out, whether it be with Rodgers or with you know another quarterback option. Um, I did look up their salary cap. They do have forty four million in salary cap. So I think if they do want to go out there and get those two, look, it's pretty much going to be that's it. That's all you do this off season. It's enough to win, but like I, you still need to. How am I going to say? I don't know who their free agents are exactly. And I'll also say this for the Fangio thing, like what you and I have criticized Todd Bowles for, for being conservative. But when Fangio down 28 to 21, decided to kick that field goal with about four minutes to go in week 18, that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, no, you can't be doing that. I know this is a meaningless week 18 game. I loved it because Fowler and Herbstreit were calling it. But <laughs> that, it's just moves like that you can't do when you're an NFL head coach. And then I don't know if you saw this day, but I retweeted it. But apparently the – so the Jacksonville private jet was in Denver – they thought it was picking up Hackett. Apparently, Fangio is interviewing for the Jacksonville job. But then now, Brian Lefwich, Byron Lefwich said, I only take the job if Balky's out. So apparently, now there's someone from the Cardinals that's getting hired. I don't know what's going on with that situation. I haven't been on Twitter that much in the last few hours except to DMU. But 
that it's I'm just gonna say this about Jacksonville. Dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. Like yeah. that's that's all. And also the cons run a better wrestling promotion than a football team. Which hey, I mean, from me from you and I's perspective, Not there's enough thing. yeah, there, there, there's enough good football teams out there. It's okay. Yeah. Like I, I I will take the better run wrestling promotion <laughs> in exchange for sacrificing another team. It's cool. There's plenty of good teams in the NFL. And uh yeah, the he wants Balky fired. It would actually, and ironically, the Cardinals person that he would bring in is Adrian Wilson, a former player, yeah. uh, the B to be the new Jaguars GM. And I do love this game of leverage where as that's going on, they leak it that new Orleans is going to interview Byron Leftwich for the head coaching job, which yeah. is Byron's camp, like trying to say, Hey, if you don't listen to me, I could get another job. And then meanwhile, the Jaguars are leaking that they're interviewing other candidates for the head coaching job. So it's just like constant, I love these leverage battles that play out so publicly like this in front of the media and everything. I find it really entertaining. Uh, it seems like Byron Leftwich will be the guy, but we'll obviously we'll have to keep an eye on this. When you do the show with Matt next week, it could be something completely different. We'll see. Exactly. I feel like too, there's going to be like, there's going to be hires that are going to be going on. I think next week's going to be the bigger news week because that yeah. is that like not, well, let's call it an awkward buffer. It's an awkward buffer week where nothing really goes on. There's like obviously all the news and hype getting ready for the Super Bowl and stuff like that. But that's a lot of the times when look, all but two teams have coaches and executives available for hire, but I believe all the GM vacancies have been filled out now. And I have to say, I like the fact that a lot of the teams waited to hire a GM first before doing a head coach. Obviously, I know, like, Poles was hired this week, then Eberflus came along, but I like the fact that they're not, you know, hiring at the same time. So, like, the GM can kind of go in and, like, say, make a final decision saying, hey, so we hired these three guys, and then Poles probably could have gone, you know what, I like Matt Eberflus. Yeah, the the one the one exception to what you're saying is <clears throat> the Raiders, uh, oh, who excuse have, me. yeah, who have not technically now it now it was it came out today. I don't know if you saw this before you got Dave on the Ziggler show. and Josh, uh, yeah, and Josh, Josh McDaniels, yeah. So that will be certainly very interesting to track. It seems I really and like we'll we'll get to it when it, this is kind of related to my team. Like the uh, Jim Harbaugh thing um, is interesting because. He his defensive coordinator just left Michigan to, Baltimore. Uh, to go to the, to go to Baltimore, and he worked for Baltimore previously. Obviously, even if Harbaugh isn't leaving, you'd probably rather be an NFL DC than a college DC. Some yeah. people just don't like the recruiting, which is fine. So yeah. maybe that means nothing. But you know, we have not heard the announcement yet from Michigan that Harbaugh is getting the the extension, the raise. Like the rumor is, if he's going to stay, it's because he wants to get back the pay cut they made him take last year. And he's using the NFL as leverage for that. And But we haven't heard that announcement yet. We haven't heard that leak yet. So until we do, I wonder if he's going to go to the NFL. And if he's not going to go to the Raiders, that is interesting. Because when Stephen Ross was asked about hiring Jim Harbaugh, for those that don't know, Stephen Ross has been connected to Jim Harbaugh for years. Wanted to hire him in 2011 before he took the Niners. After him in Michigan. Yeah, and Stephen Ross is basically his boss at Michigan. It's called the Ross School of Business. Yep. And uh, he said he said at the press conference he gave, I don't want to be the guy that takes Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, which is very, very different than saying we're not going to bring in Jim Harbaugh. He is saying he doesn't want to be the guy who takes him from Michigan. But if Harbaugh is going to leave Michigan anyways, is Stephen Ross going to use that as an out? To then say, well, if he's going to leave Michigan anyways, I'd rather him come to my team than someone else's team. So, I'm I'm tracking that one. I think that um, before, because obviously that's that's what we're going to get into next, because that's I think what a lot of people are here for. It's been a few weeks, but um, 
my thing with that is I think that's just him using his words carefully so they don't get any tampering fines or anything like that. I think this is going to be like, uh, you know, Gruden Davis situation where Gruden was available. Jack Del Rio was fired after that. I think they were like nine and seven that year too in 2017. And then Gruden came in and that's when they blew everything up. So that's what happened there. But you know what? It's here. It's the moment. But I'm going to get my take on this first. Because look, we talked about this in in our DMs. And we said this too, week 18. Miami did really put up a – Miami put up a fight week 18. There was the pick six. There was the defensive touchdown late. Uh, Miami, like, Tua played a really good game against us. Part of me thinks, too, the Patriots give a shit meter really wasn't that high considering they figured there was no chance they're going to win. I feel like they just didn't have faith in the Jets. That's not a knock on you. That's just saying the Patriots, I don't think they really cared if we won or lost that game. Um, But this firing was, like – there's always those surprise firings, but then there's those real, like – what the like? Okay, like I think this. I think rarely is there a firing that catches even AFC East rivals. Like Danny was caught off guard. I was caught off guard. I think everyone within NFL circles was truly caught off guard by this. But then I you realize that I think look, it was a side of Stephen Ross playing pick me between Chris Greer and Brian Flores plus the Tua stuff. So I think now that it's Miami, I'll say this though: now that Flores is gone, I just hope that for your sake. Greer and Ross can pick the right guy to come in and run it because if you hire the wrong coach, we all know that only sets you back further. So mm-hmm. I feel like, look, get the right guy in there. Get someone who wants to work with Tua. I know Dayball's name has come up a bunch going back to their Alabama days, which I'll add in quickly. If McDaniels does leave, I think Bill, there's a really good chance Bill O'Brien is back in New England who yeah. put up 40 points a game with Alabama this year and was putting, averaging 32 <laughs> with New England. But that's another story for another day. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now... Lay us with all those stats and thoughts that you know Randy's going to love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was caught off guard too. Uh, I came on the show. Now, <clears throat> I will say, on the show, I did warn before that Week 18 game, yo, if they if they lose this game, I think he's gone. Like, I, he could get fought, especially, if the, especially the way they lose. If they look flat, if they look lifeless, you know, I think he the could The whole given up thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it would have been such a bad look especially with how the Titans game ended, where, in my opinion, they quit in the fourth quarter. So yeah. I, <clears throat> I I warned that. Um, so I wasn't like – so if you asked me when we were doing the show, like, would you be surprised if Flores gets fired? I was like, eh, no, not necessarily. But then, then I saw the game happen as it did, and I was like, okay, he's good. They fought hard. The Tua is now 3-0 and against Belichick, one of the yep. few people to win three – even Josh Allen has not won three straight against Belichick yet. Tua is Tua's one of the first people to do that. Yep. Exactly. We'll see first game next year, but nonetheless. So uh, I I was surprised, um, you know, uh, then as is often the case, you know, more information comes out. You start doing some digging. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, are not, we're not too shy about kind of destroying, not destroying Brian Flores' reputation, but smearing his name a little bit, I would say, uh, especially, I don't know how much of this gets traction nationally, but locally, like all we hear about every day are he was such an asshole. He hated everyone. And the, even the day he was fired, it was reported by a very credible uh, pro football network, you know, which is growing as an outlet. Uh, yeah. they, they, they just added Aaron Wilson the other day. They've had Trey Wingo. Uh, they've had Trey Wingo, Aaron Wilson. They got Adam Beasley from the Miami Herald. They, they, they're growing. They deserve credibility, and they, they a lot of them. A lot of those guys are Dolphins fans, the guys that wrote, started up that company. So they have a lot of intel in Miami, and they were saying that Flores, Flores, you know, he's a hard ass. Like naturally, he's not the only coach who's like that. Like 
Mike, when Eric, when Mike Zimmer got fired, Eric Kendrick said in his press conference, we got to stop having a fear-based organization around here. And Mike Zimmer, sure, he was an asshole, and maybe he was a little harsh on people. They won a lot of games for a long time. So it's yeah. not like it's not like this can't work, you know. And obviously Belichick's hard-ass thing is different. And I, and I know the New England media is talking about how with the new team with Mac and a lot of the younger players, he actually maybe has a little more of a softer touch than he did in years past. But in any event, Flores is a, he's a dick. Uh, he's very demanding of his players. And <clears throat> he also apparently uh, – he's a – he wanted kind of – you kind of saw some of the early Bill O'Brien signs in Houston where he was trying to get a huge role in personnel. Like he yeah. was – and Chris Greer is not a very – does not have a domineering personality. His personality is to like help his coach, give his coach what he wants, et cetera. So he was starting to get a role in personnel. There's a rumor, this is not confirmed, that he was going to try to get it so he would have final say over the draft. Um, that's not confirmed, but that's what the rumor was that Flores was angling for. And I think you see with Flores and Bill O'Brien, probably not, not inaccurately, the two most successful Belichick, uh, coaching tree people, I, exactly. not counting. Yeah. Not, not counting Vrabel because I don't count, never, I don't count Vrabel yeah. either. Cause I was a player. Exactly. Very different culture. Not the, not the kind of people he learned from. So Flores and Bill O'Brien, both of them, you know, they, they had some success and then they kind of wanted to get some of the personnel power that they know Bill has. And I think in both cases, it ended up being their downfall because Flores is not a very agreeable guy. He's it's a shame because as someone who watched, who has watched every single press conference, Brian Flores has ever given, like you do get the sense that he cares. You do get the sense that like, like he was, he was really good with everything involving the virus, everything involving the protest movements from last year and this year. And uh, well, 2020 and 2021 more so, but yeah, like he's, he's very, so he's a very socially conscious person. And he does seem to, like, he does seem to genuinely care about the welfare of people. Like, people, you guys might not know this, but, like, the Dolphins had a player in 2019, uh, Kendrick Norton, who played at the University of Miami. And he got into a car accident, and he had to get his arm amputated while he was under contract with the Dolphins. He was, like, a former seventh-round pick, a bottom-of-the-roster guy, wasn't even guaranteed to make the 53. He had no big role whatsoever. And Flores apparently was at his bedside every day, like, talked to his mom constantly, wanted to give him a role in Miami, if you wanted to come be a coaching assistant, or if you kind of wanted to come to kind of look around the team and the organization, like all signs point to Flores being a good dude. Now, how do you reconcile that with him getting into fights with everybody in the organization is many people believe down here. He's the kind of that personality type that you probably know in your life where when they get mad, they get really mad. Like they can't control it. Like, like you're mad. Yeah, like you saw, you kind of saw this in the Bengals, like famously the meme in the Bengals game last year where he stormed the field to yell at a Bengals player for yes. injuring Jakeem Grant on a punt. Now, you see the good side of Flores there. He cares about his player. That's why he's like so upset. But he's so mad he can't control himself that he's literally going to go start a fight with a player on the other team. And <clears throat> he just has a – he just has this very – this mentality of coaching of like I'm going to beat you down to make you the best version of yourself, but that can wear on people. And this, like not all of this is new out of nowhere. Like in 2019, there were rumors that he and Minka, like they didn't get along. And that's why yeah. the Dolphins had to trade Minka Fitzpatrick. Like in training camp, he would just constantly agitate him. He would say like, you know, oh, that was a terrible tackle. Aren't you supposed to be one of the best players on the team? Why are undrafted players outperforming you in camp right now? Like he would say stuff like that, that in his mind is like, I'm trying to rile them up to get them to be the best version of themselves. But 
when you do that to every single person and you're just not really good at communicating that other side of yourself, that socially conscious side of yourself. You're and you're just kind of, yeah. That's how you, that's how you kind of get people upset. And now to his credit, they, they did win, you know, seven straight games. You know, it's not, it's not, they could have easily done what the Lions did with Matt Patricia, what the Texans did with Bill O'Brien. They could have thrown in the towel. They never did. So that's why it kind of relates to the Mike Zimmer thing. Like he's an asshole, but like they were still winning. The players were still playing hard, but I will say the offensive players all seem to uniformly hate him. Like that's kind of the scuttlebutt down here that like, like Devontae Parker liked the Instagram post of the Dolphins firing him. And, and then not only did he like the post, like he got shit for it in the comments. And then oh. he responded back saying like, leave me alone. What are you guys talking about? Like, like not very shy to admit it. And then, so yeah, like, and there were rumors that like he would just he would just kind of embarrass players. Like he would kind of he would shame them for not being of the right weight. Like if you thought you made a mistake, he would just humiliate you in front of the whole locker room. He just he yeah he had a way of he tried to get too much power and personnel, which pissed off obviously everybody in the front office. Yeah. And he had a style in trying to he had a style in persuading, trying to encourage and uplift other players that he would eventually kind of demean them and would kind of, even though he met, even though he means well, he's trying to get the best out of you. Like he does it in such a way that it pissed people off and he never adjusted. And I think that's the big problem here. So you had offensive players who hated him Tua, who did not get along with him anymore. And the front office who was tired of his meddling in the front office. That's how you get to a point where even if you're winning, it's like, we don't want to deal with this anymore. It's, I think he did well objectively, but I think, relationships matter and for what it's worth Tua, like Tua has told Tua's representatives told Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald look I mean Tua doesn't hate anybody like that's just not his personality yeah like he's a very nice guy like I think he was frustrated with Brian Flores but like he even said the, the joke in the article was that he sent Brian Flores a Christmas card um because <laughs> that's just Tua's personality type so I don't buy that like I don't buy that like you know there's no way Tua could have played for him ever again now would Flores have tried to get Watson or try to ship two out of town? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So from that perspective, yes. But I just think that Flores needs, he needs to learn. He needs to learn his limits and personnel and he needs to learn how to, how to manage individuals without like, it doesn't matter if you mean well, if you're pissing everyone off and losing the locker room, you know, that's how you get fired in three years. Unfortunately, even when you win, he probably last thing I'll say on this, he probably thought in his mind, as long as we're winning, then it's good. But that's not how it works. It's like I told you earlier, like when you were on a few weeks ago too. I think if some of those losses were like sprinkled out, not how it was like you had to like go one and seven, then to go, then you had to go eight and seven. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where, look, if, like I said, you mix in some losses in there, the blow is not as hard. And I think he still has his job. Plus, the one thing I want to say is I feel like it's the whole, you know, it's break you down to build you back up. It's yeah. like what you see, like, you know, like that Marine Corps Army training where it's like they don't mean to treat you bad. Deep down, they love you. It's just they're doing this to further benefit yourself. And I think a lot of players, some players can buy into that in, in the culture, but I think that there's some players who see that and they kind of go like, what's this guy doing? Is he over his head? Is it all this stuff? Um, no, that's like what I got from it. There's certain, certain things too. Like, look, I didn't know because like obviously I'm not as plugged in as you. I also know too there's a new writer that came from the Bills this year who I think oh, I think is pretty credible too, uh, Marcel. Marcel Louis-Jacques, yeah. Yeah, Marcel Louis-Jacques as well. I don't know if, how big of a fan you are. I know him. Uh, I know uh, Armando. 
Yep. So I believe that's is that Miami Herald too, or is that another? No, he was he was in the Herald. He left to okay. Outkick actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's certain like, there's certain reporters I know. I just found it funny last year how, for example, the Bills literally lost two reporters. They lost Marcel to the Dolphins, and then Matthew Fairburn, who covers them, who covered them for the Athletic, now covers the Patriots for the Athletic. Yeah. Because the Patriots Athletic reporter Jeff Howe is. Is the national reporter who I've, I've had a, I've had a few exchanges with. It's like even the same thing too. We also lost Doug Kyed, the Pro Football Focus, yep. who now covers the NFL on a national scale. He covered them for Nesson. Now that's obviously Zach Cox, um, Girardi too, although lesser degree because I know NFL yeah. Network like like Cam Wolf left the Dolphins to do NFL Network, but the NFL Network like assigns him on Dolphins games all the time. So you know. it's like Girardi. Girardi does the Patriots games yeah. like ninety percent of the time. Um, okay. So my. My only thing, and then the only other question I want to ask you is, who do you think the new coach, like who, if you had to pick, obviously there's a realistic choice for coach, but then there's also your dream scenario for head coach. Yeah, so uh, thank you for bringing up the Marcel Louis Jacques thing. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, like he, he everything, I just meant everything I said on yeah. his relationship with players, like it's very similar to his relationship with coaches. Like there, there is a story that after one game that we won, after a win, he told one of the coaches with a huge smile on the face, are you trying to fuck up our team or are you just incompetent? A huge <laughs> smile on his face while he's saying it. And the joke thought he, the coach thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. Like a backhanded compliment. Like, yeah, like I, that, that, that's some of the stuff. And the main, so for this new coach, the main coaching mistake Flores made was he had four offensive coordinators in three seasons. And he was never satisfied. He would always fire the, like he fired Chad O'Shea, which was I was critical of at the time. He the rumor is Chan Gailey left because he's a hard guy to get along with. And then he had two offensive coordinators this year, and the rumor is he was gonna fire them again. And now it's not like the Dolphins had a good offense this year, so I get it. It's not like they deserve to stay, but like you can't have five offensive coordinators in four seasons. Like this is an offense like Everyone can look up Pat Flaherty. He fired their O-line coach in 2019, like two weeks into training camp. Like, I, I I, will never understand that for the life of me. No one knows what happened. He fired Pat Flaherty two weeks into training camp. He replaces him with Dave DeGugliamo, Patriots guy. Yeah. And then he fires him at the end of the season. Like, I, it, it was so confusing. And so, yeah, four offensive line coaches and four offensive coordinators. That, that was another reason he got fired, especially since it was going to happen again. That relates to your question because – for the next guy, I think they're going to go an offensive coach. All signs seem to point to that. Vance Joseph, who they do like, has not been leaked as having gotten a second interview. So the second interviews so far are Dable, Mike McDaniel, and Kellen Moore. So I think the ideal and the realistic is the same, actually. I think okay. it's okay. – yeah, because I think I think Brian Dable just makes a lot of sense. He coached Tua in college. He, he, the rumor is that he wanted Tua to start over Jalen Hurts earlier than the national title game. He was pushing that like midseason, and it wasn't until the national title game where they were losing where Saban finally relented. So, Dable it hurts the Bills, right? Because yeah. the Bill, you're taking their offensive coordinator away from them. He knows the Bills. He knows how the Dolphins were zero and six against the Bills in Brian Flores' era, and oftentimes got their ass kicked in most of those games. So, getting Bills intel to directly challenge your rival to me makes a lot of sense. So, I think I like Mike McDaniel's upside. I, he definitely could be a Sean McVay type where he's a genius and he he accomplishes more than he's capable of early in his career because he's so naturally good at this. But it is risky. You know, that's kind of how we hired Adam Gase. You got to hire a guy in his mid-30s. Um, and he, Mike McDaniel, is not was not the play caller uh, for San Francisco. He designs plays, but Kyle Shanahan's the play caller. No. And that's always the risk you run. 
even though I'm, I have no doubt that he actually is a good offensive mind, but it might just be too early for him. I am okay. If Dable picks the Giants job, I am okay with it. It's boom bust, but I don't mind. Like, I like the upside that he provides, but I think you got to trust the experience and the security of Dable, who, even though he's never been a head coach before, he's been an offensive coordinator for like over a decade. Like, it's it's time for him to be a head coach. You can't, you, you wouldn't worry that he hadn't had enough seasoning as a head coach. Even Sean McVay, who got hired very young, Sean McVay was the football team offensive coordinator for three years. Three. Mike McDaniel's only been the San Francisco offensive coordinator for one. So it's not – even relative to Sean McVay, he still does not have the same amount of experience. So Dable's the idealistic choice. He is the realistic choice. The wild card is Harbaugh. And we'll see. Maybe it's nothing and he just goes back to Michigan. But that's the wild card. We'll see what happens there. Exactly. And the only other point I want to make, too, is is I feel like Stephen Ross should be in the building more often. I've heard that he's not in the building often enough. He's only usually down there in game days. I feel like to be like I know, look, there's owners like Jerry Jones, but then like, look, you have owners like Robert Kraft who are always in the building or always talking to players and stuff like that. I feel like and even I'll give another prime example of an owner's not in the building is the Wolves for they live in Minnesota team. They live in New Jersey. Excuse me. Teams in Minnesota. That's obviously Ziggy Wolf and his brother, I believe, Mark, who own the uh, own the Vikings. I feel like be truly good ownership you have to be in the building constantly that's my that's just something i've heard from uh, pro football talk that was uh credit i know i know a lot of people hate him but i i kind of respect my florio but yeah, no, um he, th- that's something true. that florio has said and i kind of caught on to and that's also how i know about the ross school of business i just had to throw that yeah. in there that, that's that's the other thing and yeah the, to, to close on that to, to that point like this has been the dolphins problem for a decade there's always always a fight between front office and coaching always this was like this with, with Joe Philbin, Donna Ponte, and Dennis Hickey. It was like particularly toxic back then. And then you had the the struggles with Tannenbaum and Gase apparently didn't get along. It's like this always happens. And to Floyer's point, when the owner's not around to kind of mend those fences, to kind of get those people together. And then what ends up happening is he has to pick a side. He usually fires the coach because the GM sits in the press box with him, has yep. his ear, gets to talk to him more often. And the Dolphins are not the organization that's like that. Like this is apparently how Trent Balky won the power struggle against Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco. Like he's with Jed York in the press box. The owner usually is closer to the GM than the coach. So it makes sense yep. that they usually side with the GM. But it's been happening to the Dolphins for a decade. And I'm hoping Dable, they say he's a very agreeable personality. And he 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 was the Dolphins OC in 2011. Like he has some relationships with people in the building. So you hope that they could get along. And you hope that he doesn't overstep his bounds like Brian Flores tried to do. And if that happens, then maybe this can work. But we'll see. It's also, looking- l- 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 sorry, sorry. L- very last point. They got a lot of flack today for... They want it. They want to keep their defensive coaches, and they got criticized for that on Twitter, forcing that on the new coach. Dayball has a New England background, so Dayball like would would probably have hired a lot of those guys anyways. So I think forcing the New England defensive coaches onto Dayball is not that big of a deal. If they do that to Mike McDaniel, that might be a problem because that's kind of like an arranged marriage, you know. So yeah, continue to your point. Continue to your point. No, no um, actually, I'm going to go off because I'm going to finish my point because uh, it, you like look. You, I just want to bring up yours. I think if Dayball is in there and it is the same DCs, look for one year. You know what? If it doesn't work after one year, you can get rid of them and then hire from new. That's that's, that's my thing. But yeah. then Mike McDaniel, you're right. It's gonna be one of those like awkward fringe relationships. And another Florio soundbite, which he says that I buy onto, is when you fire the GM, you should, or if you're gonna fire the coach, fire the GM at the same time too. Because look, this way, this is, Miami's a little different because Chris Greer has obviously been there for a while. But like in situations like Minnesota, Chicago, New York. 
you want to bring in there. Like, obviously, you didn't want to keep Joe Judge around with Joe Shane because, like, look, they don't have any previous relationships, yeah. and we all know it was going to be a matter of time before Shane obviously fires Judge. So I feel like John Merritt did the right thing partially because of that and partially, too, because, look, the fans just wanted him gone. And on this Flores point, if the Dolphins get Dable, Flores might go to the Giants. And I will just say, kind of like Gates going to the Jets right away, I don't think that's enough time for Flores to really introspect and learn from his mistakes. And don't be surprised if he and Joe Shane are having a power struggle two years from now. Like if that, if that's how this goes, but we'll see. I, I, I much like with Gase, I don't root against them. I hope the best for him. I really do. Like, cause I don't get embarrassed if someone we fire does well elsewhere. Cause that doesn't mean that if they stayed in their initial job, they would have had that same success. So by all means, more power to him. Like the guy, hope, hope he does well in the, in the Giants, if he gets that job. Exactly. And then the only other jobs, too, are Vegas and Houston. But, like, yeah. we don't really know what's going on with either one. We'll see what happens. And then Houston, I, I still find it a little silly that they fired David Culley. I feel like it was just – I feel like you should have given him another year. The fact they kind of overachieved. Like you mentioned, they won four games. They beat a couple of good teams. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Titans. So Almost, almost beat the Patriots. Yep, almost beat the Patriots. Uh, almost beat the Titans twice, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just one of those one of those things. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. But the NFL, it's that it's like what I say. It's why I do a football podcast. Why? Because it's that carousel that never stops spinning. Um, but throughout all this news, this seems like an off season podcast. But I always say this: off season podcasts I feel like are more fun because you get to like talk and venture and always like just give takes because you don't know what's going to come true. Yeah. But there's still football left to play, and we got oh, yeah we got a game against a team that man. I know that I'm a Pats fan, and there's a lot of memorable Patriots games. And but this may have been one of been the best non Super Bowl playoff games that I had seen. I only say that because look, 28 to three obviously is a special place in my heart. Um, but Buffalo, Buffalo, Kansas City, the two of them tore the house down. And then now we have Cincinnati going in to Kansas City. Cincinnati is a seven point dog. Over under is 54 points. Uh, before I get before I give my thoughts, I'm going to be a good host and let my guest. See where see where you're leaning this weekend for this first day for the AFC Championship game. Uh, yeah, just in general, not just the Bills game, but the Rams Bucks game too. Just kind of the spectacle of it all. I know it wasn't necessarily a well played game with all the mistakes the Rams were making and the and the Bucks. But can I interrupt you for a second? Go for it. If what happened in the Rams Bucks game happened in the Patriots Falcons game, the Patriots would have won by twenty or thirty points. Yeah. Yes. It was. It was not the same. Yeah. It was not the same comparison. Yeah, and also to running a blitz zero on with 30 seconds left, not the brightest play calling in the world. That is another example why I still believe Todd Bowles is a better DC than a head coach, and I still feel like Byron Leftwich. I feel like it could work, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, like well, it'll be, it'll be to be determined uh, with Leftwich uh, because you know obviously Arians has still has a good command of the offense there, even mm-hmm. though Leftwich was Leftwich was the play caller, so it wasn't like these other cases where he's not yeah. the play caller. He was, but still, yeah, I agree with you. Don't like Bulls. I mean, we've we've been on the we said the Bulls thing many times. He's uh, DC. He's not a head coach, and that's Fairly okay. Conservative. Yeah, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so yeah, last week was a lot of fun. It just it made me really appreciate this awesome sport. It, it kind of goes without saying because we all love football. Like we talk about it all the time, but like those games really emphasize like how important it is in our lives and how good it can be at its best. And I love seeing that. This game, I'm on the Chiefs, and to be honest with you, I'm I might also be on the Chiefs on the spread. I have not decided yet. I just have a bad feeling about this one for the Bengals. I think 
they've been kind of skating by a little bit. Like, credit to them. They won both of those games against the Raiders and Titans, but they weren't particularly dominant in either game. Against the Titans, they needed a series of interceptions from Tannehill to get it done. I think they're off the for one second, okay? Uh, yeah, sure, no problem. You can go on. So, yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say then um, the Titans – the Titans had a series of bad interceptions. My guy, Tannehill, he had a bad day. There's no other way to say it. And kind of cost them that game. So I think the Chiefs are – I have a hard time seeing the Chiefs losing after what they did last week. I think their offense is on another level. They've scored 40 points in back-to-back weeks. And the Chiefs uh, – the Bengals' defense, they play a lot of zone, and they're really bad over the middle of the field. And I think that's just a very bad combination against the Chiefs with Travis Kelsey – like who can run up through those seams and run up on those post routes. And I just think that their defense is not going to hold up. And I don't think the Bengals, I understand they had a shootout in week eight in week 17. That game was at home. A lot of the Bengals wins have been at home. Like last week was the first time they really won on the road. And it's not like they look super impressive doing it. So I just think in Arrowhead, the chiefs are probably going to score 35 plus. I think, Burrow's still going to get sacked a good bit, even by the Chiefs' D-line. I know it's not as good as the Titans, but I still think interior, they're going to have some problems with Chris Jones and other guys they got up front. So Honey Badger, we'll see his health status. I don't know if he's playing this week. Him being out was a big part of the reason. Their defense was as bad as it was against the Bills. So I just think their offense is on a roll. It's unstoppable. I think the Bengals' offense is a little more inconsistent. Even against the Raiders, it's not like they lit the world on fire. So I think it's going to be like a 35-21 to kind of game. So – uh, I, I understand most people are probably going to be on the spread for Cincinnati. No, no shame. I, I get it. I understand they can do a backdoor touchdown or something. Uh, I have the Chiefs winning and covering. I have the. I, I still do have the Chiefs winning this game as well. But I'm going for the cover. I'm going for the cover. Also, the other thing is too. Um, I know we're both Simpsons fans, so if you remember the episode from the film festival where Barney won the beer and he says, "Just hook it up to my veins," that's me with this over. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. 54 it is hitting i i expect it to hit um my big thing here is mainly if joe burrow gets sacked as much as he did against tennessee this could be a long day for him i want to see cincinnati win i just feel like look i just want some new blood in there i feel like yeah. too with kansas city but here's the thing though too i'll say i know jamar chase is going to win rookie of the year but creed humphrey and trey smith Hell of additions for the Kansas City Chiefs on that offensive line. They one of their worst, like that was the biggest question mark. Not question mark. That was their biggest red flag last year, and they completely did a one eighty in fixing that offensive one, line. One off season, yeah, one off season to do it. Yeah, Brett Veach is one hell of a GM. Um, my, my big thing for this game is too is uh, look at last week too with a bit what they managed to do with the Bills. Diggs had seven yards. Yeah. So if you're betting out there for the props, look. Obviously, I'm big in the betting market. Big red. That's big for betting. But if you are betting, look for like Joe Mixon to have a good game or if you want to go touchdown or even T Higgins or Tyler Boyd, I'd stay away from chase. Cause I feel like, cause if Steve Spagnuolo defends Jamar chase the same way in week 17, they're going to get cooked. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I understand he had 266 yards in week 17. I just, I don't think that's repeatable. I think that's the trap oh, in betting. Neither do I, I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree with you, but it's to your point. Like that's the trap from a betting perspective. Like everyone's going to see that. And they're going to be like, oh, like Chase is going to go nuclear again this week. But they're going to make adjustments. And in general, I saw the stat before the Bills game last week. With the exception of that Week 17 game, they're very good at defending number one receivers. It's the secondary receivers and the tight ends that usually give the Chiefs defense problems. They're usually good at limiting number one wideouts. So 
I, I agree with you. I, I would say Chase is not going to reach those marks. Probably not even going to do as well as he did last week. Uh, I, if you're if you're a DFS man like I am or woman, uh, T Higgins is still very cheap. Like he's only he's only he's like a thousand dollars cheaper than Jamar Chase, despite the fact that he can go off in his own right. He went off yeah. against the Ravens, so I think that's the most underrated part of this team. People think it's all Burrow and Chase. T Higgins is a stud. He's had two thousand yard seasons. He is the reason their passing game is so fucking hard to defend. Yeah. So it's it's not because like obviously look Chase Chase has made a big impact. I'm not trying to say he didn't, but they would be a lot easier to defend if their number two receiver looked a lot more like the number two receivers on the Chiefs because their number two receiver is someone like Higgins and their number three is someone like Tyler Boyd. That's why they're so that's why it's so hard to defend Jamar Chase at all times. So yeah, but I'm with you though on all those points. Exactly, exactly. And then um, for Kansas City, I think it's just. Look, if you can contain and neutralize Mahomes, but not to toot my own horn, but we obviously know who's done the best job at neutralizing him. We know yes. that's we know that we know that's Belichick. I don't think that's me. Yeah. It could sound homerish, but I think that's just it's just that's a fact true. at this point. That Belichick is the one who's limited him the most. Um, but with the Chiefs here, I don't think there's really anything to say. It's just look, go out there and play your game and you'll win. The only way I think they they lose is I think if they lose this game, it's on the defense more than it's on the offense. I just can't see like when I look at this, I can't see like Patrick Mahomes, you know, going out there and making a crucial mistake in the game to cost them. I, I just can't. I can't. I, I would be stunned if their offense doesn't score 30 again. Like they're, they're yeah. just on a roll right now. They're on a roll right now. And I think the, the Bengals are probably going to have to score 35 or more to win this game. So. The only things I'm going to say is for this game is I know there's an Orbol pick in Kansas City, but if you remember this, two weeks ago after the Bills, look, big brother, little big brother finally got his ass kicked in ping pong. Um, they played We Are the Champions, and I was like, yep. hmm, that's a bad sports omen. Next week they lose. <laughs> now we have the whole, and this is the main reason why I want the Chiefs to lose, is the Brittany Mahomes spraying champagne after the divisional round win. Yeah, so I'm just saying. Don't piss off the sports gods. You do certain things to do that, it might come back to bite you. But with that being said, when you, when number 15 is your quarterback, have faith. Yeah. yeah, pretty good to have faith. And I'm I'm just hoping for a fun game. Like I don't I don't really have like I think the Chiefs are gonna win. I don't have a betting like a, a rooting interest. Like I just hope it's a good game. That's all. We'll have money interest, but we don't have like we're, like like whoever loses, like if we lose money on this game, like I'm not gonna be heartbroken. But I feel like if you want to take the safe bet for betting, go the over. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. I also thirty five twenty one for me. Yeah, I also have the over. So yeah, let's do it. And then for mine, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go thirty five thirty one. Makes sense. Uh, next game, San Francisco at LA uh, could be another home game for San Francisco, even though it is in SoFi <laughs> Stadium. Rams are a three point favorite. Over under is forty five and a half. I'm still debating on who's gonna win this, but I, I think this game. I think the over. I think we go under. I don't think we go over in this game. I think. This is going to be unlike the what happened last week for the Rams and Bucks game. I think it's going to be a very similar game because if I look at the last two San Francisco games, uh, 27-24, I know that's 51, but I could still see like uh, another score. And then week 15, Monday Night Football, If not week 15, it was November 15th, week number uh, where's San Francisco, like right there, week 10, yeah. week 10, remember 31 to 10. 31 to 10. But this Rams team from then to now is completely different. I think OBJ is finally back to what we saw him in his – I don't think an OBJ we've seen since he was on the Giants. 
Uh, Vaughn Miller, my God, had a huge game against Tom Brady last week. And Aaron Donald's playing well. Jalen Ramsey, this was a prop bet I had last week, but it got killed in late minutes of the game. I had the Mike Evans under for yards, but it got killed. (laughs) One play. It was a one touchdown. That one touchdown doesn't happen, and I cash out. But um, for this game as a whole, I know he gets criticized a lot, but I I, I don't know why. I kind of like San Francisco here. I kind of like San Francisco. I think – it's not a mix of like the whole six and zero, but I feel like they just find a way to win. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to say a crucial field goal, and also I find it hilarious that a Bears great knocked the Packers out of the playoffs or Bears legend, if you will, excuse me. I still find that I, I Bears fans pointed it out, and they gave so many good puns. Gold is ice, good as gold. Like I'm like, oh my god, I love the trolling that Bears fans get to do right now. But um, you know what? I said they've been my dark horse late since late December. I'm going to San Francisco to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, this years is, ago. This is this is a very interesting game to me uh, because you know it's it's fun because the underdog in this game is a team that has beaten the favorite twice. You just you almost never see that normally. Norm like the Saints Bucks last year, the Bucks did win the third game, yeah. but. The Bucks were not favored going into that game. The Saints were favored because they had beaten them twice, right? Makes Saints sense. also went up early in that game, I believe, too. Yeah. And then the Bucks just the Bucks defense as the Bucks defense showed up, and then they really took away Drew Brees and any of his weapons he had. Yeah, it was it was very standard Tom Brady with the Bucks, where the Bucks defense got four turnovers in that game or three yeah. or four. Yeah, like that's pretty much that was pretty much their entire Super Bowl run last year before the Super Bowl itself was just getting all these turnovers, and then obviously last week they did, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, yeah. So this is a very interesting game. I'm really, really excited for this. Uh, I like the under. I think the Niners right now have the best defense in football. I that think they've, too. Play, they've played like it like the last few weeks. They not just – you hold the Packers offense to 10 points, which has been one of the best offenses in football. You held the Cowboys offense to 16 – no, to 17 points, yep. which is also – which is, I believe, the number one offense in football. The Cowboys – the Cowboys were – I forget the stat. They are the – Second team ever, only behind the 2,000 Rams, to score 500 points and not make the Super Bowl. Like Jesus. that, or 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 not not get to the conference championship game. Yeah, it's yeah. W- one of those two. But yeah, you get the point. Like they, yeah. the Cowboys' offense scored 500 points. Like it was a very dominant offense. And you know the the Packers, according to DVOA, the Packers had the second best offense in football this year. So like the Niners' defense, both games on the road, has just played lights out, lights out. And I think. Their pass rush is getting home, watching both of those games. Like, the Packers O-line played terrible. Like, oh, terrible. Yeah. Like, I like I understand that Rodgers made some mistakes in the fourth quarter, but if you watch that game, a lot of the sacks, it's like the pocket's collapsing right away, and, like, there's nowhere for him to go. Like, Nick Bosa was was incredible. Like, Who, can I, I say something for a second? Sure. I think he could be a DP, DPOY either next year or the year after. He's, yeah. he's. I think he's already a better player than his brother, too. Yes, I agree with you. And I think that's in his trajectory based on how he's played, based on the notoriety, like especially if they make the Super Bowl, they'll make the Super Bowl. They'll make the Super Bowl both years he was healthy because he was towards ACL yeah. the, the the 2020 season in between. I so, mean every everyone every one of their mother was hurt on that 2020 yes. San Francisco team except for one game which is against the Rams and one game when they whooped us 33 to 3 and yes. Jeff Wilson Jr had a unbelievable game and then it was never heard from again. 
<laughs> very, very Shanahan-esque, especially from a yeah. running back. Like, for that to happen out of nowhere, then disappear. <laughs> and the so the Niners' defense has been incredible. Their pass rush has been great. Fred Warner, you know, maybe the best linebacker in football. Their Jimmy Jimmy Ward is playing really, really well. I know he, he – uh, Tart, too. Tart, Jaquiski Tart as well. And Ward, like, Ward fucked up on the coverage – for the Aaron Jones like wheel route, but then he blocked the kick like right short a few plays later in that Packers game. So yeah, and their their corner like their cornerbacks aren't that good. But two things: so people have been saying ever since Emmanuel Mosley came back, like that's made a big difference to their defense, and we've kind of noticed it the last few weeks. The defense has been on a tear. Furthermore, Danico Ryan's is doing an incredible job as the defensive coordinator there, and they're. Like they, I, I was reading like a lot of good explanations, like from people from Pro Football. Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus was breaking it down. He almost has a cornerback-proof defense because the pass rush is so creative; it gets home so often. And Fred Warner covers so much ground in the middle of the field, and their safeties can kind of provide help to the cornerbacks when needed. That it doesn't matter that outside of Mosley, their cornerbacks aren't that good because the rest of the roster and his play calling is good at scheming around that. And can you just like in twenty twenty two? Having a cornerback-proof defense is so valuable. It's like having a quarterback-proof yeah. offense. Like it's a huge deal. So, I think the defense is playing great. To the Rams' credit, I think their defense is playing well too. I thought their defense played really well last week. They, it's not their fault. They allowed twenty-seven points. The Rams' offense kept fumbling over and over and over and over and over again, and giving the Bucks short fields. Yeah, I thought the Rams, the Rams' defense stopped the Bucks three straight possessions in the fourth quarter. Think about that when they overcame a 27 to three deficit and they were stopped three straight times in the fourth quarter because yeah. their defense was playing well. Knicks, Knicks, they, their, their starting safeties all year were Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp. Jordan Fuller out for the season. Taylor Rapp didn't play last week. So they signed Eric Weddle and this guy, Nick Scott comes in and they, they're Nick Scott is playing awesome. Sean McVay says he's one of the key parts of their defense. So I think both these defenses are playing well. I like the under both the offense have question marks. I'm with you. I'm going to pick San Francisco. Um, by the way, StubHub says this might be the biggest StubHub game of all time. So, like, uh, which just goes to show you that on the secondary market, on the secondary market, 49ers fans are buying so many of these tickets to be able to watch this game. So, like you said earlier, it's probably going to be another Niners home game. I mean, imagine, like, a lot of the L.A. faithful, like, they didn't have this team for multiple decades. Like, it's mostly Niners fans that are in that area. So, yeah. it makes sense that they would take over the stadium. And the last and, thing I'll say what, – Oh, and Raider, and Raider fans. Shout out to Miguel. Raider fans. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And shout out to Miguel's Raiders for making the playoffs and proving me wrong. Uh, I'll just say that publicly on air. Uh, yeah, I, I think both defenses are going to play well. And for me, I think the Rams off – Stafford has been awesome. This yeah. has kind of been a 2012 Joe Flacco run from him, I think. Now, he is a better player than Joe Flacco. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm saying the run is very similar. Oh, um, yeah, because, completely. Yeah, especially like he was throwing all those picks in December. Flacco, too, people forget, before the playoffs that year, Flacco was like throwing interceptions all the time in December. So similar in that realm. Um, so Stafford's been awesome. I just think that Stafford still has another interception left in him that we haven't seen yet in the playoffs. I just still kind of think that's coming, um, especially since the Niners' defense is so good. And I think a lot of people probably look at this game and they're probably saying both the defenses are great. I don't trust Jimmy G. I trust Stafford, so I pick the Rams. A lot of people are saying that. I think Stafford has another mistake left in him. I don't think Jimmy G has to do that much, as we've seen. 
And he's thrown picks in both of these last two games, and they get over it. So even if he throws that terrible interception, it doesn't mean they're going to lose. So I think the D, I think the Niners' defense is just playing a little bit better. And I think ultimately I think that's why I lean that direction. I know the Rams' offense is better. I know that Debo Samuel's not fully healthy and Trent Williams is not fully healthy and Cooper Cup and all these guys are playing really well. I think I get that, but – and Odell Beckham should get credit too for playing pretty yeah. well the last couple of weeks. I get all of that. But I just think the Niners' defense is playing better, and I think Stafford still has some mistakes left in him. I think the crowd is going to be mostly 49ers fans that I think San Francisco wins again, and I think San Francisco goes to the Super Bowl. Um, my other thing with that, too, is is I feel like with um, – I know a lot of people are very critical of uh, Jimmy G and everything and, like, turning the ball over, but I do agree with you. Look, even if he does, at the end of the day, if you ask me which defense do I trust more to make a play, yeah. I'm going with the Niners' defense. I just trust them to scheme up something – uh D'Amico Ryan's also too I'm saying this Minnesota Vikings make him your head yes. coach make yes. him I know you just got over a defensive head coach but if you have him in the NFC North especially since we don't know what direction the Packers are going in you could easily win that division next year with D'Amico Ryan's at the helm I know that's a bit of a hot take but I still think that and I'll say this for more I'll probably say this multiple times I think they're going to try to go all in to win next year especially because it is Cousins last year and then after that it's kind of like you know burn it to the ground um but with this game though i think look if we see jimmy play a game like i'm not going to say to the extremes of what mac jones did in buffalo two months ago uh, about a month and a half ago but what actually fun example what jimmy garoppolo did two years ago in the nfc championship game remember that was raheem moster going for over 200 yards in that game yep. completely re- that's also when the green bay packers had a really bad run defense yep. um, and also the other th- and um, so with that i'm saying is look just keep giving Will Ross to Debo because this team has been a lot better ever since they got Debo Samuel incorporated into the run game. Uh, you can still get uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell incorporated. But if you are betting out there, one player I honestly think can have a big game is George Kittle. George Kittle's been really quiet in the playoffs so far. I think this is kind of that game where we see him, you know, get the ball. Shout out AW, Zero Mano. Um, do something like that. But the other thing I want to say, too, about last week, the Bucs as well get the fourth down stop and win the game if Troy Reader shoots the gap and gets Leonard Fournette. Remember, he was this yeah. much off. He shot that gap beautifully against that Buccaneers offensive line, which as soon as Tristan Wirfs went out, I took Rams' money line. That was the one thing I will yeah. say, as soon as Wirfs was out. Um, but, no, with this game, it's like I said before, when it comes down to who do I trust more to make a defensive stop, I'm going with the Niners. And even to another player, uh, Kerry Hyder has been really good for them, Eric Armstead as well. I remember when they traded DeForest Buckner, I was like, okay, what are they doing here? But they had a plan in place. And I still think if they had a healthy 2020, this team healthy is one of the scariest teams in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you're kind of seeing the dividends of it, of how talented this roster is. And it, it yeah. should be noted, the Niners, both these last two games, especially well, mainly the Packers game, like it's okay if they're down by a touchdown, by two touchdowns, if they're down 17-0. Like yeah. they're not, they're not going to panic. They're not going to abandon the run. They're going to be calm and collected. Meanwhile, if the Rams go up big, not just because not just because they blew that league in Week 18, but yeah. if they're going to start fumbling all over the place like they did last week, and I understand some of that is fluky, but I just think that I just think that if the Niners go up big, the Niners are probably going to keep the lead. Whereas if the Rams go up big, the Niners are not going to be out of it. They're they're going to have more than enough confidence. They're not going to panic. They're not going to freak out. They're going to be very calm and collected. And I think that that kind of works in the Niners' favor a little bit. Oh, 100 percent. That's that's the big thing. Like like I said, if the uh, not if the Rams make the same mistakes against the Buccaneers, if they make them again, like they did last week, this week, 
it's going to be a long day. The only other thing I'll say is, too, I also want the Niners to win just because I feel like it's going to be funny where we can, like, laugh at the Rams for, you know, this all-in mentality. They literally say, fuck a first-round pick, and then they, like, and then they get so close and then they lose. It's, like, why people laugh when the Yankees choke in the ALCS every year. Like, you know, like, it's just one of those things where it's, like, you get so close. But then again, being said, here's the other thing I'll say, too. If it's Chiefs, say any scenario, because if it's Bengals, Niners, or Bengals, Rams, I think it's open season, but I think if it's Bengals, Rams, I think Rams win. If it's Chiefs and Rams, I I just can see a world where it's not a close game. I think that the Chiefs defense is very capable of getting to Matt Stafford and everything. But if it's if it's Chiefs and Niners, I think we get a very similar game to what we saw two years ago. But And the other thing I want to give credit to the Niners for is the fact that they lost Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur hired within because they trusted their guys. They trusted D'Amico Ryans. They trusted uh, Mike McDaniel. They promoted them to both be offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And look at where they are. I had them finishing third place. My big prediction was Seattle missing the playoffs. Um, and I was I was right. I know I know Danny's smiling at that right now because he's got two top ten picks. But the fact that San Francisco had this quick turnaround from going six and ten last year to now, you know, getting in the playoffs and being a game away from the Super Bowl, if even if the Niners lose this Sunday, you have to look at the future and say this team is promising. And I'll say one more thing about the Niners. What odds are we taking that a, some stupid GM is going to cough up for two firsts for Jimmy? Pretty who, solid. Who, yeah, I think so. the, that's the thing too. I'll say the more the Niners go further, yeah. the better return that John Lynch is going to get Jimmy Garoppolo. John Lynch, a guy I loved in the broadcast booth, hell of an executive. Yeah, and because uh, you have teams like the Steelers, like if the Raiders move on from Derek Carr, if the Vikings move on from Kirk. You know, if, if the box, if Brady's retires, like you have a lot of teams that might need a new quarterback. So I think that will create a bidding war. And Jimmy going to the Super Bowl twice in three years would definitely exacerbate his value. Now, I will say the other side of this coin is if the Niners lose, if we had to hypothesize it, yeah, we could probably envision they lose because of Jimmy. And then the headlines are, that's why they drafted Trey Lance. Like that kind yeah. of being the take-home message from the game. And Trey Lance will be the quarterback next year anyways. But uh, I... That is certainly on the table, but I'm with you. I think I think they go one step further. Rooting interests don't care. Uh, I'd be happy with both games. I kind of don't want to see Bengals-Rams. I don't know why. I'm sure it'll be fun. For whatever reason, I'm more excited by Bengals 49ers. Um, but if it's the Chiefs, I really don't care. I think both games would be great. It's because both quarterbacks are good looking. You can admit it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Hey, we got robbed of what could have been the good, like of what people were calling the sexy NFC championship between Brady and Jimmy G. And also too, that's a, that, that would be, that's like a dream for me as a Patriots fan. I'm like yeah. off to the side being like, I'm so proud of you too. Like look, Brady and Jimmy in a facing off against each other. But um, now before we go, I actually have a take about the whole Brady stuff. I think one of two things. One, I think it's like Aaron Rodgers last year, you know, where fresh off the loss, emotions are a little higher, but I have a take for you and I want you to hear it. So I haven't seen any episodes yet because I don't have ESPN Plus in Canada, but I'm trying to find a way to watch them. Really? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know ESPN Plus wasn't available in Canada. Fuck. No, it's not. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm, I might try. I might try. But here's the thing with Man in the Arena. Would you be shocked that if in episode 10 he announces his retirement? No, no. I, I would not. I would not be at all. Like if that's kind of like the full circle way he brings it all together. Um, kind of like the <laughs> – us wrestling fans, if you ever watched The Last Ride, the Undertaker's documentary on, yeah. on on the network, that was similar, where in the last episode he had announced his retirement. So wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, it seems like he might retire, but I, I don't know. 
see. I just don't think I just don't think he wants a year of like the speculation, the farewell yeah. tours. You know how like Ben in that final Monday night game got like the yeah. standing ovation and like the curtain call and everything. I, I don't think he wants that. I think he wants to ride off like like for example, like what Undertaker did. Look, folks, yeah. we're still a podcast because we're all wrestling fans at heart. But here's the thing. And also too, because the Royal Rumble is this weekend. Yeah. Um the Brady thing, I think he's he wants to go out when he says he wants to go out. I don't think he wants to play all year. So if he even if he does, it is what it is. But here's the other thing too. Look, the Bucks might be losing both their coordinators. They they only have 14 million in cap. And they have a lot of pending free agents. Uh they have they Ryan know. Jensen, Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette. Godwin, uh Carlson Davis, Lindamakit Sue, I think only had one year left on his deal. JPP. Yeah. Like it's very I think possible. Alex that- Kappa too. Yeah, so Brady might think even if he want like Brady's, it's unlikely Brady can play for another team, right? Because like, yeah. why? It's not like the Rogers situation where that was agreed upon a year earlier. And yeah. uh, Brady might even if Brady wants to play, he might think to himself, "Man, we didn't win the Super Bowl this year. I'm going to come back to a worse version of the Bucks and probably lose in the playoffs again. Is that really is that worth it? Is that better than just stopping right now for his family's sake? You know? So we'll see." Yeah, I just think though if he does retire there and this it, yes, this is a fan in me talking. I just can't see a way where he doesn't retire a Patriot. I I, I just can't look. I know we had the two years of the box. He's a little more laid back. He's opened more with the media. He kind of like drops his shoulders when he's talking in Tampa and just the way he acts and he does. But I just I I just, I just can't see a world where he doesn't honor and respect because he's a he's a, Robert he's a, he views Kraft as a dad. It's the same vice versa way. Kraft views him as a son. Read all about it. Jeff Benedict's The Dynasty. It's a book I've preached on here many times. That's how I view it with Tom. The, that day comes. And also, here's the other thing, too. Imagine if we have a 2027 Hall of Fame class of Big Ben and Tom Brady. That would be something. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and uh, but maybe Sean Payton. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Like, yeah that, that, that would be really interesting. And uh, that, that, that would be one of the only things that prevents Ben from being a first ballot Hall of Famer if there's, like, a bunch of quarterbacks. Like, if Rodgers retires, too. Rodgers and Brady will both get in ahead of him, and that could that could be a problem for Ben. He might have to wait because there's only so many of one position they like putting in. So that'll be interesting to track. I also do want to look this up for you because I wanted to see um, out of the guys that are uh, – yeah, yeah, there's a lot of finalists for this year, but I even look at this year's class. There's a couple of guys I wanted to see get in, like Richard Seymour. But if you had to pick between – to get in this year, Andre Johnson, Devin Hester – Jared Allen, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, and Patrick Willis. Which player do you think you pick? Johnson. Johnson yeah. or Demarcus Ware. But I definitely yeah. put in Johnson over Reggie Wayne. Definitely Johnson over Devin Hester, even though all three of those guys are Miami Hurricanes. Love all three. I hope all three eventually get in. Uh, same with Zach. Same with Zach, but, you know, not not looking good on that. Okay, can I, can I cut you off for a second? What? I saw a TikTok today about – I forgot about how good the old one Miami Hurricanes team was and with that three-headed monster at running back. Yeah, yeah, no. And, like, you had Frank Gore, who didn't even play, um, yeah. just kind of because there was so much talent ahead of him uh, with, with Portis and McGahee. Like, yeah, no, that team's the greatest college football team of all time. And anyone look it up, 2001 Miami Hurricanes roster, it is stacked. It is loaded. There's a stupid amount of talent on that team. Uh, but, yeah, love uh, – <clears throat> Andre Andre at one point was the best receiver in football and was yeah. that for a long time. And I think that should get you in. And DeMarcus Ware for a long time was considered maybe the best defensive player in football. So, yeah, I, I, I think both those guys should get in. 
And both were two really great organizations as well. Johnson, Houston, not so much, but with the Marcus Ware's case, look, he played for the Denver Broncos. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. Both. That's the thing too. I know a lot of people see the Denver Broncos suck, but did you know before their stretch of not making the playoffs five years in a row, the most they had missed, I think was like one or two. And that's since like 1970. Yeah. He, he, they, they are like a historically great franchise uh, because they had all those Elway years where they were always in the playoffs. And then, even in the Jake Plummer years, they were frequently in the playoffs. They made the playoffs during Tebow season. They never went a long time without playoff appearances um, until the post-Manning era. Exactly, exactly. Um, but that's the thing with the Hall of Fame this year is like now it's like all our childhood guys that are going in, so it kind of sucks. It shows like, hey, we're getting older because we grew up yeah. watching all these players. Um, I agree with you, Demarcus Ware, jo- Andre Johnson. Uh, I feel like Devin Hester can get in, but if I had to pick, it's just like you have to look at Andre Johnson. Like like you said. Also, I'll say this too: those early, late two thousands Texans teams are some of the best teams to not go far in the playoffs. Like, yeah, like him, Matt Schaub, Arian Foster. Like when it was those three. Yeah, one like when you had Brian Cushing as like one of the best linebackers in football, and JJ Watt was around. Yeah, like they're the they had some really really talented rosters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's, oh, that's the thing with the Hall of Fame too. So for twenty twenty six, it's probably going to be Drew and Phil and Rivers. I know a yeah. lot of people like to say. Oh, Rivers ever won a Super Bowl? River, Rivers is Hall of Famer. Yes, I agree. For Phil Rivers, Hall of Famer, Drew Brees obviously is. I think Drew Brees still one of the more his stats. If you look at it, he's top three for a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even yeah, like efficiency and volume too, not just yeah. like playing a long time. Yeah, and also two game winning drives, touchdowns, yeah. all that stuff. And then because if I look, I want to. I just want to say something. If you're to rank the three quarterbacks in the last twenty years, I'd probably have to go probably Brady, Drew, and then. Manning. I'm not in that particular order. I know a lot of people probably go, oh, Will Holmes or Allen. I'm like, they'll get there. It'll be their time. But yeah, I think Allen, the first part, Allen especially, yeah, yeah. Like, like but it's too. it's it's those three, and then I'd probably say, and then if I had to make a fourth for the for the 2000s, I'd probably have to go Ben, just because I also didn't realize the, what and Rogers, 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 okay. Rogers, and Ben. I'd say yeah, probably Rogers, good Ben, and then six is probably Rivers, and then seven yeah. is probably Eli. Yeah, Rivers' only knock I think is that he never got to a Super Bowl, but at the same time too. For the amount of, like, I even look, I don't know if he ever made a Super Bowl, but Dan Fouts is in the Hall of Fame. He never made a, I, he never won one. Correct. Yeah, yeah. no, and that, I, especially, like, like his his production is also very, very strong, and, like, he played at a good level for a long time. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And also I'll say this, too, that 06 Chargers team, another team added to the list of greatest teams probably never win a championship. But That's, coming from, Har- that's coming from a Patriots fan, too. Yeah, it was either John Harbaugh or someone else from the Ra- – like Daniel Jeremiah when he worked in the Ravens front office. Yeah. Um, he said that – I think it was Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom told him that he thought the Chargers had the most talent in football. Uh, from like a 2006 through 2008 period, he thought that was the most talented team in the league. So Rev- Rivers, yeah. Gates, Tomlinson, Vincent Jackson, RIP. Merriman on defense, yeah. yeah. And Cromartie. Yeah. yeah, a lot of good players. A lot of good players. A lot of good players. Well, anyway, I think I think that's going to wrap it up here today. That's another great conversation with Big Rat as always. Now, folks, we're going to be in video more often. Videos on YouTube. Uh, just to let you guys know, podcast schedule recordings will probably be two, two, maybe three times a week, probably leading up until the draft. Because after this, folks, draft coverage is coming. Free agency coverage, combine, you know it. I'll be here podcasting. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. But as always, IWC Football Talk presented by Sideline Shop, Big Rat. The people finally got the episode they wanted, especially to shout out Randy. 
But anyway, folks, that's going to do it here for episode number 149 of YWC football, football Talk. Excuse me. Enjoy Championship Sunday because in three weeks, we're going to be fiending for the NFL. Have a good night, everybody. See you. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.